Hello everyone, welcome back to X-Men 92 versus Young Justice, a product of Uncanny Treks. This is Bob from Cascadia, I have Matt from the Southland on the line, and tonight we're here to talk about Night of the Sentinels Part 2, which is X-Men 92 Season 1 Episode 2, and uh, Fireworks, which is Young Justice Season 1 Episode 2, that aired on the 26th of November 2010, and Night of the Sentinels Part 2 aired on the 7th of November 1992, as the name implies. Yeah, it's 18 year difference, Bob. 18 years difference. Yeah, very far apart. So in the A-plot of uh, X-Men 92, Nine of the Sentinels, Part 2, uh, we see that the X-Men are besieged by Sentinels and guards after the death of Morph, and Cyclops orders the team to retreat from the Mutant Control Agency, where they destroyed the mutant registration files, but the team is forced to also leave behind a wounded beast. Poor beast. And poor Morph. Poor Morph. God, so sad. Yeah, yeah. Did this tear you up as a child, Matt? It kind of did. It was it was sad to see a character I'd never heard of before die. Morph. Basically the first episode. And then Beast, you know, I knew who Beast was, but I don't know. Originally I thought Beast died. I think, I think like when I was younger, I thought Beast died too. But then I think in the next couple episodes they show him in jail. So you're like, I was like, oh, Beast survived. Cool. You know. Oh yeah, they show, I mean, they show him in jail later in this episode for a minute. Yeah. I was a stupid kid, though, Bob. So, I mean, I didn't... I mean, we were all very stupid children. Yeah. That's, and, that's, and we'll, that's true. We'll find that out more as we continue watching this, that some of our... Uh, what we thought of as kids is not didn't hold up very well. Although it is, it is kind of interesting how, like, they don't... They don't show Morph getting hit by the Sentinel laser, right? Because they can't... Because you can't show, like, violence like that. But since Beast doesn't die, they do show like Beast get shot by the Sentinel laser and then slam back into the electric fence. So it actually <laughs> is pretty like for the cartoon, it's like pretty graphic, you know, like, I mean, it's not really graphic, but it's you can see how it would be pretty effective or affecting for a young kid. Just so you know, Beast is basically an animal. So that's why they treated him that way. Uh, uh okay. Yeah, okay. I, th I think it's different because Morph was like more human looking, so they couldn't do as much. But with Beast, I, it's like he's a creature. He can get. I think that's part of it, but I also think that it's the the death versus wounding. Like you can show, you can show a little more of a wounding than you could of a death. So in the B plot, Bob Wolverine is very sullen about Cyclops' decision, but is somewhat cheered up when the team rescues Jubilee from a Sentinel facility. Yeah, yeah. So I had a question. I didn't register this in part one. But the previously on this time informs us that this is um, the public debut of the X-Men. Did you catch that the X-Men were kind of publicly out uh, before part one, or am I just stupid? Uh, I, I did not, so you're not stupid. But Or we're both stupid. No, but I just I don't see how it's even possible, because there are like absolutely no hints of this in the mall scene. When they uh -huh. have no issue using their powers in public, though they had zero issues using their powers, they had their outfits like at, like Storm had her outfit at the ready. So it seems like they should have already been out at that point. I mean, I think you could say that like maybe they're preparing to go public, but just the events of the Sentinel at the mall kind of forced their hand. Yeah, I mean, they had no issues doing that. So I I just don't I don't know if I agree with that. And they should, you think they would have said something like you know, all right guys, this is our time. <laughs> you know, or or said something like, try to keep it on the down low, you know, try to keep things, you know, to a minimum. You hear none of that. It's just 
But speaking of things that like I didn't understand as a kid, I'd always had the impression that like the X-Men had had adventures before this as a kid. Cause yeah, it does feel like they're already like a fairly cohesive and well-rehearsed team. And so this implies that they really haven't, that this, you know, in a sense is like the first, at least public adventure of the X-Men. So that's kind of interesting. You know what it is, Bob? Danger room practice. The danger room, man, it gets you really prepared, really Mm -hmm. prepared. Uh, So another important question that was weighing on my mind very heavily while watching this episode, but not during part one are you familiar with that one Wolverine or two Batman optical illusion? Yes, but I didn't notice it until, you know, it became a meme. Yeah, yeah, I didn't notice it until it was a meme. And if listeners are unfamiliar with it, I mean, it's probably just easier to Google. But basically, like, if you look at Wolverine's mask, like, straight on, and especially if the ears on the mask are very tall, it sort of looks like two Batman are staring each other down. Um, like, yeah, in profile. It's totally there, and it's all part of a plan to, like, secretly brainwash our children into watching more uh, WB kids. So I mean, it's really insidious how deep the reach of the WB goes. Yeah, because I'm watching X-Men, I'm like, shit, I gotta watch a Batman now. You know, that was back in 92. <laughs> all right, one, one final but very pressing question about uh, my childhood re- related to this episode. So... When we have the time jump, because we have the Sentinels arrive at the MCA facility and then, you know, like kind of like fire at Morph, and then we time jump and the X-Men are returning to the school, I was like really confused because I had very vivid memories of like Morph dying and Beast getting left behind from watching this as a kid. But then we later actually do see that action, but it's Wolverine having a flashback to the events of Morth's death and Beast's capture. Did you think that was like dramatically effective or did it just seem like a weird narrative choice? It was really weird. And when I was watching it this time around as an adult, I felt like I had hit like fast forward by accident when I'm watching it because I was that like, because I, you know, when I'm watching these things, I'm not always like focused like straight on TV. You know, I have like 14 other things going on and I'm just kind of like, it's in the background. It's there. Sorry, listeners. But it <laughs> it completely... I mean, your, your lack of commitment to the listeners appalls sorry. me and the so, listeners, Matt. Sorry, guys. But it completely messed up my memory of, like, what I remember happening. Because when I did watch it, I thought it might have been, like, a production error at first. <laughs> like, they had just put, like, like... They had put the scenes out of order, and they had to, like, compensate, so they put a voiceover for Wolverine. I, I, I don't know. It was It was just odd. An odd choice, especially for a kid a kid show. Yeah. And I'll, I'll I'll let the listeners in on a little secret. Uh, as much as I love them, uh, I'm I'm not paying for Disney Plus to watch this show because uh, Disney is uh, awful and Disney Plus is awful. Uh, so uh, you know I'm watching this through, shall we say, other means, and uh, those other means uh, had me thinking, oh, maybe I made a very bad decision. Yeah, it, it was. It's it's an odd choice the way they did that, and I think it just it would confuse. I I probably didn't notice it as much as a kid, but it would it was confusing. Like, why not just show it in sequential order? Is the uh, weed eater? Can you hear that? No, it's fine. It adds. I mean, I can, but okay. it, it's not like a. All right, uh, fucking again, twice a fucking. Yeah, I don't know what weeds they're the cutting winter. in Seattle. 
<laughs> I mean, it it actually is raining a lot here because yeah. it's the winter and that means it's the monsoon seasons. And it's because of climate change, it's raining a lot harder than it used to. <laughs> you should go so. out there and do like, say like the most Seattle thing ever. Be like, hey, I'm turn that off. I got a podcast going on in here. Yeah. <laughs> 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 oh, man. Speaking of uh, public hassling, uh, I was really cracked up when the hillbilly high, uh, the hillbilly biker is giving Cyclops uh, trouble, and then they knock off Cyclops's ruby uh, quartz uh, sunglasses, and then he's like, "Put him back on, put him back on." Yeah, that dude's accent is hilarious. That was. The- it was like some sort of like weird like Canadian hillbilly thing. It was great. So this episode though is like full of memorable lines like i remember from our childhood i don't know if it's because we like do did you have this on tape or did i have it on tape or one of us did i think i think i had it on tape that i got from pizza hut okay because i remember we've watched this so many times that the lines that just kept coming back to me as we're watching like the the first one is of course more saying uh wolverine fall back that line <laughs> yeah, like, I'll, yeah you'll never forget that and then uh tell cyclops i made him a convertible after Wolverine slices I, off the top of the I don't even know if I remember that one from childhood as much as it becoming a meme. I thought it was so hilarious as a kid. I don't know why. I just thought it was so funny. Uh, I guess because I had like the little Jeep. There was like an X-Men Jeep thing. And I used to like do that. I used to do the same thing. I'd pull the top off of it and be like, hey, look, I did what's in the cartoon. <laughs> I, what I really enjoyed is that Cyclops' car is like, the most like undistinguished like Honda car ever. It's like I'd never noticed that before, but it's like such like a perfect like you know Cyclops mobile. It's just an accountant's car. Yeah, it's a Honda Civic. It's it's awesome. Yeah, yeah, it's to- it's totally a Honda Civic. It's hilarious. So then you have Gambit saying, first we charge the car, then we blow it up. Life don't get much better than this." You know, he says that, and it, that that's like a yeah, classic yeah. line. Uh, God bless Gambit. And then there's that one, there's one god-awful Cyclops line, though. This is not as memorable, but it's so 90s is that the Sentinel goes, Surrender, mutant! And then Cyclops goes, Of course not! And shoots his beam. It's like, cringe. I sort of appreciated it just because it had a certain sort of schoolyard quality to it that you wouldn't associate with Cyclops, or at least with 90s Cyclops. So I thought that was pretty funny. Yeah, He's being so playful. So speaking of Cyclops, I do want to say that him immediately forgiving Jubilee's dad for snitching him out was so ridiculous. Oh yeah, that that made zero sense. And like then even Jubilee's reunion at the end had the exact same. You got the same feeling. It's like the her foster parents are complete trash. I mean they just yeah. <laughs> like they, I generally think like the left in internet culture is too like is too anti-parent. These days, like it's too much people working through their issues with their parents and you should like, you know, grow up and like realize your parents are people and like have have a relationship with them. But that said, Jubilee's foster parents suck and she should never talk to them again. No, never, ever. I mean, I was hoping the Sentinels would just step on their house at some point. I mean, just ruin it all. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think they come back, thank God. Oh, no, they don't. But I mean, I mean, if you look at the whole picture, it's... Okay, they have this foster child, so they're going to get money from the government to raise her. Okay, she starts breaking stuff with her mutant power, so they turn her over to the to the mutant th- registry thing. The Sentinels come to get her. Okay, so she's she, they don't know where they're going to take her. They don't know what the Sentinels are going to do with her. Then they, then later on, they they uh, 
call out the X-Men for being there, like you said earlier. And then on top of that, after all this danger she's been put in up to mm-hmm. this point with the X-Men, they're mm-hmm. perfectly fine with her joining the X-Men. <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, look at just look at their track record. It's awful. And well, I bet they're still I bet they're still getting money because they still have I bet they're still getting money from the government for Jubilee. Even though she's can, not really can in I her get, house. Can I get conspiratorial for you for a second, the way you got conspiratorial about the WB? Sure. So what I think it is, is it's an allegory to get the children who are watching the show. Like, even though Cyclops forgives them, I think as the kid watching the show, you're left with the indelible uh, impression that your parents can't be trusted and will betray you. And so the show is trying to, like, secretly get the children to switch their allegiances from the parents to the X-Men. And, you know, kind of like how Jubilee never going to return to her foster parents is just going to stay with the X-Men. I think it's a little brainwashing that the cartoon is trying to do on its child children viewers. You're probably right. I mean, some kids at that age wanted to like join the NBA, the NFL. We wanted to join the X-Men. And we probably yeah, would have left we, our parents. We were do. we were really bad kids. Yeah. <laughs> sad, sad nerds. We should we should have played sports, Matt, more than we did. Yeah. It's all good though. All right. So, anything right. else about this episode, Bob, that we need to point out? Anything We'll, we'll come to a couple things in choreography watch and rogue watch, but I think otherwise we're good. All right, so let's take a look at Young Justice, Season 1, Episode 2, Fireworks. Yeah, do you want to walk us through the A-plot, Matt? Yeah, so Aqualad, Robin, and Kid Flash convince Superboy that they can give him a much freer life. So the four of them, with the aid of Dubilix and other genomorphs, break free from Project Cadmus and its director, Dr. Desmond, who has transformed himself into Blockbuster. All right. Did you have any thoughts on the Light, who are also referred to as uh, the board of directors for Cadmus? Oh, is, is it the Legion of Doom, Bob? Mm, mm, could be. Could is, it be. The, is it the young Legion of Doom? <laughs> Ooh, dun-dun-dun. Bunch of, bunch, of, bunch of Legion of Doom sidekicks? I, I will say that at least one member of the Light does present as being very young is it kid scarecrow kid scarecrow i yeah that would really tie in with our titans coverage uh, earlier this year yeah be awesome i did really enjoy superboy's angst over not being able to fly yeah but he can leap tall buildings in a single bound which is a really good joke so yeah, I appreciate yeah. that. Kid, kid flash bringing the good humor bringing yeah. the good humor do you, you have any thoughts on the show's extensive use of telepathy matt yeah, it's kind of fun, but I find it kind of confusing sometimes, just who's talking to whom and all that good stuff. Yeah, yeah, it, it is a kind of cool use of uh, people's powers, although there, you know, there's the very kind of obvious production reason that they would want to do it, so they can save budget and not have to animate characters' mouths moving. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense, I guess. Did uh, you recognize the voice of the Guardian? Uh, yeah, I mean, I looked it up. It's Crispin Freeman, but I don't remember him from anything. So he's the guy who also is the voice actor of Speedy in uh, episode one. Oh, okay. And do you remember what Speedy's real name is, Matt? Uh, no. <laughs> it's uh, Roy Harper. Oh, duh. Yeah, Roy Harper. So yeah, wh- and do, do you remember what the Guardian's real name is? Roy Harper? No, no, not Roy. Jim Harper. Jim Harper. Oh. Yeah. 
Oh, well, wait, is that his son? Could be. Could oh, be. Oh, shit. Wow. So, okay. I did not know this. Yeah, yeah. Nice, nice little bit of uh, little bit of business there. Um, and then the other recognition question I wanted to throw at you. Do you recognize Dr. Desmond's stroke blockbuster now that he's transformed? Admittedly, the design they go with for blockbuster here looks like the other genomorphs and doesn't really look like the version I'm used to from the comics. Yeah, he was a Nightwing villain, right? Well, so he starts out as like a Batman villain in the 60s, and he's basically an Incredible Hulk knockoff. He wears sandals and has like long hair and a torn shirt. Um, that's kind of why they had Dr. Desmond in sandals, which is a weird choice. Right. But then I think the Nightwing villain, because I've never read that Nightwing run, but in the Chuck Dixon Nightwing run, it's basically kind of like a Frank Miller Daredevil tribute. And Blockbuster is his like kingpin. But I think it's the I think it's the brother of Mark Desmond. I think it's like Roland Desmond maybe. Okay, that makes sense. Okay. Yeah, I just I know last week, you know, we didn't I couldn't tell you who Blockbuster was, and he told me not to look it up and surprise myself, but then I went and looked it up. And uh I was like, oh, okay, Blockbuster. I, I have no clue who the original character was, but I did recognize the Nightwing version. I, I swear that the the first or second Blockbuster story was in one of those greatest Batman stories, probably the first one, the greatest Batman stories ever told volume that you and I had as kids. It probably was, but my memory makes me think that was Solomon Grundy, so I don't know. Oh, uh, uh, yeah, very, very similar, but Solomon Grundy is older and cooler. Yes, much older and cooler than Blockbuster. And Blockbuster has a stupid name, so. Yeah, I mean, like, he's just straight up, and he's like, what if the Incredible Hulk was a Batman villain, but not that important? No. Yeah. Um, And then I did want to ask, what did you think of this very big, but somewhat somewhat, uh, irregular uh, lineup for the Justice League? Yeah, there's, like, so many damn oddballs here. Like, there's Captain Atom, Captain Marvel, Zatara. It's it's a weird combination that I'm not used to seeing, and I why didn't they go for Zatanna? And uh, that'll that'll become clearer later. Okay, and then Captain Adam, I've seen him on like League Reserve type stuff. Like he, I know he was he played a bigger part in like Justice League Unlimited when that yeah. show aired. So I'm like okay, but then Captain Marvel, where where the hell did he come from? Well, I think what they're trying to do is they want to do a very kind of like Silver Age Justice League, you know, with like all the big guns in it. So like, you know, Hawkman and Hawkwoman, Green Lantern, all, you know, all the big seven, all that. But then I think they also want to make it a little more modernized. So they have they have like big guns, you know, who are like, at least if you go by the, you know, their powers, like very powerful, like Captain Adam, Captain Marvel in the lineup, too. And then there's also is that kind of interesting thing where there's the two different Golden Age characters, I think, right? Or have, or wait, have we seen Doctor Fate yet, or no? No, I didn't see Doctor Fate. Okay, no, never mind then. Never mind. That's a slight hint of things to come. But okay, so but we do have Zatara who kind of stands out because he's a Golden Age character um, in the Silver Age Justice League. Although I mean, I guess if you want to get really technical, Captain Marvel and. Uh, a lot of the main DC characters are Golden Age characters, too. Yeah, it's just an interesting choice that I couldn't quite understand why they went with them. But, I mean, then again, they haven't had a lot of screen time, so it's kind of neat to see different characters that you're not, you know, not just the usual, just JLA. 
Yeah, and some of these characters are going to get a lot of development, and some are going to get almost none. It's a kind of interesting mix-up. So we are introduced to an, a, a new character, Miss Martian. Yeah, yeah. Any thoughts about Miss Martian, Matt? Yeah, they need to make sure they put more women on this team because having the guys like salivate over her for seasons to come is going to be really old. It's going to get really old really quick. In in fairness, it's just going to be Kid Flash. The other the the other three guys can control themselves. Okay. Yeah, I'm just like oh, this. That's just tiring. I don't want to. Did you did you notice another uh, woman from the opening credits? Uh, no. Who did I miss? Uh, Arrowette is in the opening credits. Arrowette, she'll, yeah, she'll join the team, but it, it it takes a few episodes. Is that the? Uh, is that like a Green Arrow character? Yes. Yes. Okay. Is that the? Is that Mia? Or my? Is that who that no, is? No, that's um, that's a Speedy character. Um, Arrowette's a Arrowette's another comics character, but she's she's different than uh, Mia or Maya. Man, they have a lot of characters that have bow and arrow themes i i think you will find as this show goes on like that the one of the things i think is the most interesting about it is it like really does balance like the kind of confusing dc universe where you have like multiple similar characters but it does manage to give them pretty different identities and like it really does to me capture the feel of the dc universe like in the 2000s like before it was rebooted in the new 52 so like infinite crisis era new uh 52 era dc this um this show really does capture it and it like triggers my personal nostalgia pretty hard okay well that's good because that's kind of what i was reading so yeah no that's that's the best dc it's the i mean there's been good stuff at dc since then but they like had a great um had a great universe and they ruined it with awful stories and then they rebooted the whole thing and it's been a mess ever since okay you also get introduced well not in, i think he was in the first episode too but you find out that red tornado is going to be their babysitter uh yeah yeah which is a um is a thing from the original young justice comic that i haven't read but like red tornado is the babysitter in the original young justice comic that i haven't read so my question to you which i, I don't whatever happened to that guy from super friends who could make tornadoes that uh was like a samurai um he will show up much much later in the show but not in a form you expect oh shit so he's actually gonna make a okay i didn't expect him to even make an appearance that's awesome but not in a form you will expect ah. <laughs> he better be a samurai and he better be a tornado <laughs> um one of those things will be sort of true oh god okay You'll, you'll like it. You'll like, well, you may not like this story, but you will like, you will like the tribute. What was that dude's name? Samurai. Oh, just Samurai. Okay. I think the comics might've given him a secret identity later and another name that was a little less, you know, kind of stereotypically broad and offensive. But I think in the Super Friends cartoon, he was always just Samurai. But he, yeah, he was basically like in the Super Friends cartoon, a replacement for Red Tornado. That makes sense. And a and a commendable attempt to make the Justice League more multicultural, uh, albeit in a very stereotypical and offensive way. It was so diverse. It was just so diverse. Yeah, yeah. Shall we move into our segments? Yes. So what was your favorite rogue line uh, this week, Matt? 
Gotta be careful to pull out enough of your energy to stop you without hurting you. <laughs> so yeah that's when rogue is disabling wolverine and it, it is kind of funny how much of a vampire rogue really is you forget that sometimes yeah that's, it's good that she explained that you know on screen just so everybody would know that she wasn't hurting wolverine she was just <laughs> making him go to sleep my favorite uh line for me was as she was hurling a sentinel uh into a pond and offering to go, f- offering to go for a moonlight swim with him. She said, "Don't get a moonburn now." <laughs> yeah, that, that stood out pretty much. <laughs> she's got some good lines. This, this, I this love whole her episode, so much. This whole she's, episode, she's though. Like, I'm afraid as we go further on, like the lines, I won't remember as much. But like, I know from I know we watched these two episodes enough that like the the, the quotes are just coming back to me. It's hilarious. I think the fr- I, my my guess is that the first season we'll have a lot of stuff that resonates with us, but I think maybe the later seasons, not so much. Yeah. Especially the last season. Like I know I watched I don't it. Think but I, I, just... I don't think I watched season four and five. I don't think I might've, but I don't think I did. Well, just, just, just a little spoiler here that the animation goes to crap towards the end. So yeah, that's what I've heard. That's Be what ready. I've heard. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So what do you want to check in with on choreography watch this week, Matt? So the one choreography piece that I want to point out is how they use Cyclops concussive beams correctly. Like 95% of the time, like he'll hit a Sentinel and their head will go back and break off and not like just slice there are a few scenes though where they do use it like lasers, like where it's like burning, like yeah. But uh, is that something you even understood as a kid? Uh, no, because I was a stupid kid. And I'll go one further and say I uh, I actually don't care about the distinction now. And I think people who do care about the distinction are hilarious. And I point and laugh <laughs> at them on Twitter when I see them complaining about it. Well, I I, I just appreciate it because I I find well I I felt like I learned this later on though like. That his beams are actually just supposed to be like it's the force that knocks you back. It's not like it's gonna burn your body to a crisp. I just like if they wanted it to be optic beams of force, they shouldn't have colored it like a laser. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> what color would you have preferred? Blue? <laughs> yeah, like blue actually I think I wanna say the original comics, like the sixties comics, I wanna say like they tended to show it more as like blue, kind of like circles or maybe i'm just confusing it with havoc but i tend to think it wasn't record it it didn't visually look like lasers as much as it it did later right but yeah i always and i just know as a kid i remember him like i think like why doesn't cyclops just cut through it with his beams but yeah i don't that's not how it works yeah no didn't know that distinction as a kid don't care about that distinction now um if you do care about that distinction other than you matt you're cool (laughs) lol lol lol, you're ridiculous All right. Well, what about you, Bob? What did you notice about this episode when it came to uh, choreography? The two things I wanted to say was I really like how they use Rogue in the opening fight with the Sentinels. Um, so because, you know, it's her Gambit and Cyclops. And so both Gambit and Cyclops kind of have like these range attacks. Right. But she can fly. And so she's but she's also having to like punch people. So it kind of makes her a combination of, I guess you would say, like a brawler and a dodger. And that, that's a kind of like fun way to fight. I, I really enjoyed her flying around, beating up on the Sentinels. Yeah, she goes to town. Yeah, Rogue's just the best. So I know we learned this later, but she basically, like, her powers are from Miss Marvel, correct? Yeah, well, yeah, because her original mutant ability is just the stealing people's uh, energy, powers, memories. 
but then something goes wrong when she uh, grabs a hold of Miss Marvel, now Captain Marvel, and so she gets stuck with uh, Cap- uh, Captain Marvel and Miss Marvel's powers. Okay. Yeah, I, yeah. I didn't. I didn't understand that as a child. Like, I guess I didn't really know who Miss Marvel was. So they actually got to that episode and explained it. I don't. I don't think I knew it till they got to it in the cartoon. But once they got to it in the cartoon, it, it was always pretty pretty indelible for me. And then the other visual or choreography I wanted to call out was I really did love that uh, visual at the end of fireworks where Superman first and then Zatara, Captain Marvel, the Manhunter and Red Tornado are all descending like vertically from the sky against like a night sky and a full moon. I thought that was a really pretty visual. Yeah, it was pretty cool. Yeah, the fight scene, while the last episode I really liked the fight scene they had with Superboy. This fight scene where they had with Blockbuster, it was okay. It wasn't as, it wasn't as neatly done as as our as the first episodes, but it was still great. The first the first couple times I've watched Young Justice, I haven't paid that much attention to the fighting, which you know was the thing I paid the most attention to as a child, and now it's the thing I pay the least attention to. So, actually having choreography watch is good because it forces me to actually watch the violence. I do, I do think that the choreography on the show, in my vague memory, is inconsistent, but it does have some really high points. Yeah. Like there was a new, there was a episode that aired a couple of weeks ago that the fight choreography in it was like Chef's Kiss, good. Oh okay. Well, I look forward to that then. Yeah. 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 Who's your uh, character of the week? Bobby Bob character of the week once again two weeks in a row Wolverine. Man, you just you just love the love them bad boys, don't you, Matt? You just can't say no to the bad boy. This is loyalty to morph in the team. It's just good stuff. <laughs> yeah, I think I would go Aqualad this week. I really dug him standing up to Batman at the end. That was a, that was a nice bit, and it, it's kind of funny that Aqualad does it instead of Robin. Robin's like too cowed by Batman to do it. Yeah, so episode of the week, Bob. I'm giving it to fireworks really sets the tone for what we can probably expect in the future, which I think is going to be a pretty enjoyable series. I did enjoy Night of the Sentinels Part 2, but it, like, it was all over the place, and that just kind of put me off. Yeah, like it, it feels like it kind of goes a little too long, or like the, I don't know, just the rescue stuff with Jubilee just doesn't really feel like it fits with what the show had been doing before. All right, so what would you go with, Bob? Oh, I went with, uh, I went with Fireworks as well, yeah. All right. Well, Young Justice wins this week. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, this has been another week of X-Men 92 versus Young Justice. We are a part of Uncanny Treks. This is Bob from Cascadia. That's Matt from the Southland. Have a good night, everybody. Thank you for listening.